we need to talk about ideas, good ones and bad ones. We need to learn stuff about the world. We need an honest, intelligent, thought-provoking, and entertaining review of what the hell happened on this planet in the last seven days. We need to sit back and listen to the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Welcome back, dear listener. Episode 273, the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove podcast. It's like old times. It's just the three of us on this occasion. Yeah. So I'm Trevor, a.k.a. the Iron Fist, with me as always, Scott, the Velvet Glove. G'day Trevor, g'day Paul, g'day listeners, and for those of you that are keeping track, I'm still on the dole, <laughs> but I did have a lead on a job today, which might be starting this Thursday of this week, and keeping going until the end of December, you, which you, is better than nothing. <laughs> you could be our barometer on the economy. Once well, you get right. some work, we'll know that things have picked up. <laughs> mm. yep. I, I have to say, I'm involved in selling art supplies, and last month I had the biggest month ever by a long margin. I had a great month. Anyway, um, things are going all right out there for me for at least last month. Uh, Paul, the 12th man. Greetings, earthlings. How about you, Paul? Did you sell a mozza or did you pick up a job uh, or are you just, uh, what happened to you? Uh, I'm on JobKeeper. Yes. And I've been demoted to the lower level of JobKeeper. So. Right. It's getting a bit grim, to be honest. I just Mm. um, got a quote for some work on my car, you know, just like Mm. replacing the the clutch plate, Mm. which, you know, they wear out, and uh, and a little switch which uh, activates the reversing lights in my car. So those two little items plus labour, over 2,000 bucks. Ouch. Very ouch. Yep. So your job keep has reduced. Yes. Is that right? Yes. Yes, I was. So how does this work? Our government at the moment, I believe, is is authorising tax breaks for the wealthy. No, it's to stimulate business activity, Trevor. Yes. But, you know, people in, I think, Scott Morrison's pay bracket are going to be saving $10,000 in tax. Meanwhile, people who could spend everything they get on a new clutch or, or... Reversing light switch. Or some sushi for lunch or whatever. Or whatever. Um, yeah. uh, having it taken off them. Yes. How, how can people accept that this is makes any sense? <laughs> it well. doesn't. Yep. So, look, uh, before we go move, move on, uh, Joe's not with us. He's up in um, uh, regional Queensland at the moment. He had mm. something else on. He did uh, say when he told hotel Wi-Fi is not so hot here. Yeah, so so, so good luck. Um, when he was telling me about it, we had a brief conversation, and this is all I had to say. Stand back and stand by. That was it. It was a pretty short <laughs> conversation. <laughs> okay. So Joe's standing back, standing by, but he'll be back next week. Joe, I think Joe's voice has changed. It's... That was me. That was me oh, telling that was Joe. You. Yeah, yeah. Well, your stand voice has back changed. And stand by. <laughs> <laughs> we will get on to Trump in a little while. Um, Right. Uh, yeah, so it just doesn't make sense, does it? Like giving tax breaks to people on uh, the upper echelons of income and you're then taking money away from people who are just going to spend it all and plough it into the economy. And what are people going to do around 200000 who get an extra ten? they put it in the bank. Exactly. Hmm. They're not spending it because they're going, I'm not sure if I can... What's going to happen? I'll be conservative. You, know, you don't go, have to be Einstein to work this out. No, they can't go abroad right now, so they're not going to spend that. It's just, you know, it, it really doesn't make any sense. To, I, I can understand where the government's coming from, but it was, um, 
<laughs> it was ridiculous that they are giving it away to the top marginal taxpayers. And what's Labor doing? Well, they're backing it up. Yeah. Um, what did you expect? Well, the, you know, <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm, Albanese, nothing else. Exactly. Like, these guys have forgotten how to fight. Hmm. They have forgotten what their duty and their constituency is. That's to the point. They've forgotten who their constituency is, yes. They've forgotten what's right. I know that the government would hold up tax cuts for the lower end too because they are talking about tax cuts for everyone over $40,000, which is, you know, the majority of the taxpayers are going to... um, Sorry, Lynn and Hardbottom. Emerald encrusted ivory back scratches aren't cheap. So, anyway. That's what Landon's spending his extra money on. Exactly. But he doesn't pay tax in Australia, so he doesn't get an Australian tax break. No, so. he doesn't. But anyway, um, he, he's. I do not understand why Labor does not put up a hell of a stink and then back down in the final seconds in the Senate. Because that way it would still go through, but then they would make a hell of a song and dance about it and they would make the government bleed for... They would have to justify... It would lose column inches and all that sort of stuff where they're trying to justify why they're handing out income tax cuts to the top end. They're afraid to tell a story and to fight. They Mm. think they'll just get swamped and that they'll get lost. You're just rolling over and playing dead. Exactly. None of it makes any sense. Yep. So um, Mel you, says they couldn't separate the higher brackets from the lower, but they've got to make the point. They've got to more make strongly the point. exactly that exactly. They've got to make the point that yeah. you cannot hand out X amount of dollars to the upper end, and you give nothing away to the lower end. Yep. Now I understand where Mel's coming from because what the government has done is they have made that tax bracket huge now mm. to pay 30 cents in the dollar i think you pay uh, i don't know it cut, cuts in at forty thousand dollars or something like that and goes mm. right up to 200 grand right now mm-hmm. now that is ridiculous that it's, you've got it's quite s- a low point to cut in isn't well, it, it is yeah and, 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 and they shouldn't rather than having it cut in rather than having it cut out at two hundred thousand dollars they should have Marched it back to $100,000 and then have it started at $50,000 and going up to $100,000 or something like that. Why couldn't Labor just say, we're not passing this bill in its current form, change it, give the tax breaks to people under 80000 or something, then we'll pass it. Until then, go away. This is our position. Like, and argue it. If, if you argue it, you've got a chance. If you just roll over all the time... I mean, this is the whole point. I mean, I think they're going to have to roll over eventually on it because otherwise the low end doesn't get anything. But if they'd actually taken the argument up to the government, if they'd fought it out with them, Mm. then maybe they would have some Mm. modicum of... um, Trust. trust. I don't know what you'd call it, but Mm. it's... um, Yeah, it's really... Anyway, people yeah. are going off in the chat room nice and early. That's good on you. That's very good in the exactly. chat room. They're really firing away in there. Good on you. Um, so when we're looking at the budget, which is currently being handed Cody's down. has got a very good point there. Yes. You need an income to enjoy a tax cut. Yes, yes exactly. Yeah. Um, and no, unemployment. Something like 10% of Australians lost their jobs in the last yeah. six months. Yeah. 10%. That's, that's the people who need a break. That's the people who need some income. Absolutely. People like you yes. need to be on the full... JobKeeper, as it was a few weeks ago. Well, I mean, so if they just, if they settled on the amount of fifteen hundred per fortnight, which yeah. is not a lot of money anyway, and they it is taxed, you know yeah. that, don't you? 
Uh, so from right. $1,500 a fortnight, I right. lost approximately 300 in tax. Right. Now, I don't mind paying tax, mm. but 1500 minus tax a fortnight is not a lot of money. Mm. I could get by on it, yep. but now it's been halved. Yeah. I just don't buy this argument it's that like- they have to accept the package the government presents and or they'll be seen to have denied low-income earners a tax break. You, you tell the story and sell it. I just don't accept that you have and to. That's swallow. what they should have done. They should mm. have sold. The, sold they mm. should have told the story. They should have sell, sold it. And then, mm. when the government refused to stack down, then they'd have to back down in the Senate after mm. after it'd been voted down once. But they could vote it. Down, they could vote it up the next time. Yep. Uh, Mel says Albanese and Chalmers tell anyone who will listen, but the monocracy does a pretty good job of drowning it out. But on the floor of Parliament, you get the chance, and you say no. Exactly, they're not passing it. But and, if they're in Parliament, their job is to be an opposition. Yeah, not and, just sit there. Meekly, and if you're gonna if you're gonna roll over every time the Murdochcracy is against you, you'll never get anything done. Exactly, yeah. so you can't blame Murdoch for everything, um, particularly well, for well, what the can, opposition. Well, well you can, but you can blame no, Labor for for everything, Trevor. I don't. I, I don't think even you would blame Murdoch for everything. Oh, I think he's got. I think he's got a. Gets close. His fingerprints are on a hell of a lot of this. You're talking about Trevor now, right? No, no, I'm talking about Murdoch. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Anyway, it's frustrating. But um, when you're looking at the budget and tomorrow's papers and there'll be billions for this and millions for that, and um, I read an article in Crikey that said, million, billion, trillion, gazillion, do any of these figures have any meaning beyond their use for journalists as heuristic of newsworthiness? Um, I mean, once you reach a certain level with these sort of numbers, it's very hard to keep track of, well, what is a billion dollars? What is a million dollars? I can remember... um, the opposition leader, Deb Frecklington, announced $20 million on some road upgrade. And I thought to myself, mm. $20 million? <laughs> Surely that's nothing. Yeah. In fact, I came across an ad from a real estate agent mm. on the internet this afternoon. Yep. And she was standing at a, an intersection where there's been a lot of traffic accidents. And it mm. obviously needs an upgrade of some sort. Mm. And she was talking about the Brisbane City Council, I think, are putting in a roundabout. Okay. And she said it's estimated to cost... $910,000 or something like that. And when I heard the figure, I thought, what, no millions? Oh, right. that's chicken feed. That's no, right. 900000 mm. you know, for a government. Mm. It's hard to keep track of just how much, when it gets to billions, how yeah. much. And, and, Scott, for me, when I look at things now, I just weigh everything up against submarines. Like, <laughs> it, was three, <laughs> it was three or four years ago now, but it's stuck in my head. Those 12 submarines that were originally <laughs> slated to cost $50 billion. Now, that was and, a fiasco. <laughs> and, and, and that's just a figure in my mind where now when we're talking about the coming budget deficit where it's um, 200, 200 billion, billion, I think to myself, okay, uh, 48 submarines. Like, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm adding things up in multiples of 12 submarines as a means of trying to get my head around what figures actually mean. So um, It's a lot of money. It, it, it is, but then it isn't when you have it in comparison to the GDP, GDP of the country. Mm. Um, you know, figures get quoted about, oh, our deficit is now X billions of dollars, but in the scheme yeah, of things, know, you, that's you, not perhaps much, depending on what it is as a proportion of something else. Exactly, and I think mm. that's what, what we've got to look at, is the proportion of what the government debt is of the GDP. Now, I know mm. we've got modern monetary theory and that sort of stuff, which mm. I still haven't got my head around completely yet. I apologise for that. Mm. But um, 
Solis, like I believe it was tonight, said he said he never thought he would see a figure like 50% in peacetime. Is it 50? Yes. It's 50% of GDP, is, yes. the, is, is that the, right? Is the government debt. Will be wow. the government debt by 2024. Wow. Yeah. Sol Eslake is really good. He is, yeah. He's very neutral, I think. Mm. He doesn't have a barrow to push. I agree. And I remember seeing him speak at a thing once, and, um, and man, oh, man, you just went, oh, that guy is in charge of his brief. He knows what he's talking about. Yeah. He knew the detail. He was across it. He explained it well. He's a good operator, mm. Sol Eslake. So, so there you go. I mean... Imagine, I think it was Solis. Like, okay. I could be wrong, though, but, you know. Yeah. Uh, imagine if there was the Labor government in charge. We're actually lucky because Murdoch and the Liberals would be carping from the sides mm. saying, you can't spend this money, we'll all be ruined. So exactly. Well, it would still be spent. It I mean, just it, like the Rudd government it, spent a lot of money, it, it, even it, though the opposition was carping from the sides. It potentially would make it harder for them. They, yeah, but they'd, they'd be, still do it. it they may not be as brave as these guys to spend money. I don't know. It's just, it would, it's it, to me, it's just, it's actually, it, it's an interesting situation that would have been. So anyway, one thing about uh, those figures where it's hard to talk about billions and and trillions and, and understand them. Yeah. Yes, um, but one thing that came out um, in the news was that Trump's tax returns, and it came out that. <laughs> That he'd paid seven hundred and fifty dollars, yeah, and that was a figure people could relate to mm. because they could go, "Hang on a minute, I pay more than that, and I flip hamburgers at a Wendy's." Like, um, so yeah, if you're going to tell a story, I think try and relate it to a figure that the average Joe can sort of get their head around. Mm. Yeah, and that Trump's tax return certainly did that. So, um, yeah. Yeah, you know, I know seven hundred and fifty bucks is a hell of a lot of is a not a hell of a lot of cash. Now he has probably taken advantage of the grouping. I don't know how he's managed to offset his corporate losses against his own income personally. I'm assuming that he has uh, funneled his appearance fees and all that sort of stuff through some sort of corporate entity, so that he can then write off the other corporate losses against those corporate profits. So that's probably how he's only paid $750 in tax. Well, well, Sorry, who was that? Trump. Oh, okay. Yeah, because, you know, he has made a hell of a lot of his appearance fees and all that sort of stuff on The Apprentice, blah, 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 blah. Now, all that sort of money you would expect would go into him personally. Now, he must have set it up that he's got Donald Trump else uh, limited or uh, what do they call him? Well, the thing is, he, he just hasn't made much money. I know, he hasn't made much apprentice. money. But yeah, he, except for The Apprentice, he has not made very much money. Mm. And that is, um, what it does is it really, you know, all those guys that were out there saying, oh, I want a businessman to run the country because a businessman knows how to make money. There's your businessman, mate. He can't make money, mm. you know. But, but what Trump also did was he changed the tax laws. One of the first things he did when he got into power was, was enable companies to... Um, go back further and claim credits for tax that they'd already paid, I think, up to almost 20 years ago. So 20 years he, ago? He created a huge tax scam to make it easier for companies to to do what he's done. Hmm. That was one of the key features of, of the first thing, one of the first things he did. So, indeed, evil man. But, yeah, um, yes, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Mm, um, just one thing also in this Crikey article, it said that... Um, 
Scott Morrison has basically flipped how normal policy setting is done. So normally good governance identifies need, which leads to policy, which produces numbers, which are then reported. So, you know, people like Paul need X amount of dollars to survive. (laughs) Multiply that by the number of people in his position leads to a total figure that we will now produce. Mm. Whereas in the Morrison government, what they tend to do is they make an announcement of a figure without any policy announcement to go with it, and then they work backwards to create policy to sort of chew up or reach a figure that they've already nominated is is how these guys uh, tend to work, and and they seem to get away with it. So... Does the Labor Party do it any different? Um, it seems to have been a characteristic that uh, Morrison's become very good at feeding the chooks, a bit like Bajelki Peterson, in that he comes out and makes an announcement that we're going to spend $50 billion and we've got a plan to do X, Y, Z. But there's no details of the plan and no details of how he got to the $50 million. According to this Crikey article, it's a... It's a, a unique skill of Scott Morrison that he's employed. So you can argue others have done it the same way. But I really have no idea, but mm. I just wonder whether mm. the Labor Party does it very differently. Mm. You know. Anyway, he does seem to have a habit of sort of making announcements. We've got a plan, and our plan is to spend fifty billion, and we'll tell you about the details later. It does seem to be how it works at the moment. So anyway, watch that and make your own decision whether that's the case. What else have we got? Um, Of course, just in all of this, like, huge amount of money is being spent tonight in the budget. Meanwhile, we just keep having to mention it, when the global financial crisis was on Mm. and the Labor Party was spending all this money, guys like Matthias Cormann were saying, we'll all be ruined. You can't do that. You cannot spend this money. So in February 2009, he told the Senate, we've got this $42 cash splash. What is this going to do? Is it going to end up with us having $111 billion worth of debt for starters and even up to $200 billion of debt with 9500 debt for every Australian? This is absolute panic stuff. Mm. And um, he said, what's the alternative? Of course, it was the right thing to do then and it's the, the right, right thing, thing to, to do, do now. now. Exactly. You are just hypocritical, hypocritical yeah. bastards. And, and one commentator, I think, on um, Insiders on Sunday, I Mm -hmm. think it was where I saw it. He said, look, the cost of borrowing money has never been lower. Exactly. He said it'll be cheaper to pay off the current debt than it would have been to pay off the previous Mm -hmm. high level of debt, Mm. just because the interest rates are so low. Mm. Hey, uh, before I forget, next week, dear listener, um, if you're listening to the live stream, uh, it'll be Wednesday night and... And we're, and then we'll revert back to normal Tuesdays. And then from now on, we'll also start at 7 p.m. Queensland time, which will be 8 p.m. for the southern states, because I know Bromman, for example, goes to bed early. So we need to get going. <laughs> so this. all you southerners so, yeah. listening to this podcast, just know how good we are to you. That's right. We think of you down there, huddled away as you are in Victoria in your well, isolation. We do feel for them because they yeah. are... Poor bastards are still locked down. They are, yeah. yeah. It's they're, amazing. They're living in a police state. No, no they are, seriously. No, they seriously are living in a police state where the Premier delegates public servants to become our overseers, you know, and to 
nominate people without any particular training who are then delegated to go out and catch people doing the wrong thing and, you know, imprison them without habeas corpus, by the way. As we've shown before, currently the majority of Victorians want to live in what you call a police state. So Yeah, well, those opinion polls are one thing, you know, but whether it's right and just and correct in a liberal democracy is quite another. Yeah, but, you know... No, no, no. I don't accept that just because some opinion poll said, you know, 60% or whatever it was of them uh, think the government's doing the right thing. You don't think it's accurate? No, no, I'm not... I'm not disputing the poll. Mm. What I'm disputing is, is that it's, that right to do that. it's right. the right thing to do okay. in yeah, a liberal yeah. democracy. Because people not. could be voting, could be deciding against their own self-interest. Is that what you're saying, Paul? Uh, absolutely. They, they, they could can. be making a decision against what would be good for them. People a bit like when sometimes. I suggested that people voted against Obamacare and you thought, <laughs> oh, people aren't that stupid to actually Didn't make I a decision that? against their own self-interest. Did I say that? And, and you said, show me proof, Trevor. Like, surely people know their own self-interest and would never actually, you know, want something that would be detrimental to themselves. I humbly take it back. <laughs> right. Okay. Of course, sometimes people do do things that is right. not in their own uh, objective self-interest. Right. Okay. I've got some... Uh, the Essential Report came out. I've put it on the screen there for the people in the chat who are watching us live um, on Facebook and Twitch and YouTube and whatnot. So, um, they asked Australians um, in Essential Report, which of the following options is closest to your view on the best way for Australia to recover economically following the pandemic? And the first one was, now is not the time to experiment with new ideas. We should return to the way the economy was being run. And the second option was, the pandemic has exposed flaws in the economy and there is an opportunity to explore new ways to run the economy. And I thought this was quite an interesting result, Scott. Mm. So overall, 78% of Australians surveyed said they wanted... I uh, thought this was an opportunity to explore new ways to run the economy. And that um, was across all age groups quite strongly, but even stronger the when older people got. Yeah. In the over 55s, 85% were saying this is a time to actually do something different with the economy. Well, I think the 55s are probably looking at the crisis in aged care. Right. And think to themselves, well, I'm going to be there in the next two decades. So, you know. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe they are looking at aged care. And, um, but anyway, I thought that was interesting that the older people got uh, in the plus 55 plus, 85% wanted or thought this was an opportunity to explore new ways to run mm. the economy. That's What really surprises me yeah. is the 18 to 34s. Mm-hmm. You know, 30% said that it's now is not the time to experiment with new ideas. We should return to the way the economy is being run. Yeah. Young people are so conservative, well, aren't they? They certainly appear to be conservative, <laughs> well, well, yeah. Wait till you get... I've got another one here. Well, while we're on young people, I'll just trickle... I'll, get, I'll just come back to this one then. Uh, trickle-down, um, direct investment versus trickle-down approach. Which is the which of the following is closest to your view on the best way to create jobs and to grow the economy? Now, given the choice, uh, the government should directly invest in the economy by creating jobs, uh, projects, and jobs, and raise the standard of living for the majority of workers. Okay. Well, the other option was the government should relax regulation and lower taxes for the wealthy to encourage businesses to grow and create jobs. So the first one is interventionist government. Exactly. The second yeah. one is trickle-down 
sort of viewpoint. And you got fifty seven percent there of the eighteen to thirty five year olds going with the invent interventionist. Yeah. So overall sixty nine percent agreed with intervention. Said they wanted intervention, only nineteen wanted trickle down. But again percent unsure. But again the older groups were the ones who said government intervention and were less likely to rely on trickle down. I thought that was really interesting. Um that the older ones had given up on the idea of um, lowering taxes for the wealthy to encourage business and create jobs. They, <laughs> they can't the ones wait that give... for it to trickle down. <laughs> they, they yes. Don't, don't have that much time left. Yeah. So in the 55-plus age group, 81% wanted government intervention and only 10% wanted trickle down, whereas in 18 to 34, 57% wanted government intervention and 28% wanted trickle down. I, I just thought that was a very unusual... I would so not have picked that. It makes me wonder where the hell the coalition's coming from because they're often seen as looking after the elderly and that sort of stuff, aren't they? That's normally their main target so audience is mm. the elderly. I'm not so sure. Yeah, but anyway, that just goes to show not a lot of people would agree with what I think is in the current budget. I haven't been watching it tonight because I've been getting this podcast ready, but it, based on that, it's sort of indicating that um, people don't want trickle-down and lower taxes. So they want people like Paul and you to have a better job keeper rate rather than a trickle-down sort of solution. There's been a lot of talk recently about reforming the tax mm. system, and I, I think some people would say, well... What better opportunity to ref- do a complete, you know, shake-up of the tax system? Absolutely. I agree mm. wholeheartedly. I mean, you never waste a good crisis. We've got a bloody good crisis right now. Well, I think we should use it well, to our advantage. Well, this is what Morrison's doing. He's not wasting the crisis. He's giving a tax break to the top. To, yeah, I know to, to he top. is. And, and, that, so, is, that, that, and is, that is the wrong way he should be. He shouldn't be. He should. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he is wasting the crisis by but, giving away the money to the top but, tax but break. Not in his view, because it's giving no. it to his constituency. Exactly. Yes. Which makes no sense. But anyway, we can go on about that forever and a day. But yeah. I honestly believe Labor should fight them on that and they should stand it up right until the final hooter and then side with the government and the Senate. Mm. Is that yeah. the AFL hooter or the... Oh, I don't know. Um, I don't know ARL hooter. <laughs> right. Um, just uh, still on federal it's politics. It's ridiculous that we're carrying on about the bloody grand final up here in Brisbane. Anyway, well, so. I think we're going to have... Are we going to have all the grand finals in Queensland this year? We've got the AFL grand final at the Gabba. Yeah, I don't know about the NRL. The rugby league one, where's that going to be? It'll be down in Sydney. Probably in Sydney, I guess, yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, Just finally, Josh Frydenberg has announced he's going to overhaul laws governing mortgages, personal loans and credit cards and payday lending to streamline decisions on whether customers can afford the loans they seek. Yeah. And supposedly this is responding to growing concerns over court disputes and the duplication of regulators in home and personal lending, sparking fears that restrictive rules on credit would curb economic growth. So he's cutting the red tape to make it easier to lend money. To people who can't afford to borrow money. And people who are vulnerable. And if the numbers don't stack up easily now in this low-interest environment and then they never will. Mm. And this is just... This economy does not have a problem of people not being able to borrow money for investment projects or something like that. Uh, mm. the, the, the problem is income. It's, it's demand and income. 
it's irresponsible to just get rid of red tape and allow crazy lending practices to to start up again. You have no idea, Josh Frydenberg, of how the real world operates. And if you give well, he's these never, ever assholes been anywhere near that level of of life and you know getting by, yeah. If you give these guys half a chance, they will lend money to people who cannot afford it, and and then when it does recover a little bit, interest rates go up, they'll be stuck. Like there's nothing wrong with the current regulations. Um. Anyway, that's what he's up to. Right, a little bit of light relief before we move on to other topics. Um, a report has come out that <laughs> perhaps a senior Italian cardinal is accused of siphoning off over a million dollars of Vatican funds to pay witnesses in the George Pell sex abuse trial in an attempt to secure a conviction against George Pell. So the allegation is that this cardinal was paying the witnesses to try and get a judgment against Pell because basically they were enemies and that Pell was... Christian of him, was it? Yeah. And that if Pe- he did it. And that Pell was sort of um, onto this guy for other misdemeanours and his best option was to get Pell in the slammer. Like, this it's- doesn't... <laughs> It seems unlikely. It seems unlikely. $1.14 million worth of Vatican funds to pay witnesses. Well. And you wired it? Like, yeah. That's not cash in a bag. That's going to be traceable at some point. And this is the whole point. You don't just, if you're going to commit fraud like that, ladies and gentlemen, don't send it electronically. You've (laughs) got to get cash in a bag and you've got to hand it over to them. You know, just like, you know, Leonard Hardbottom with the Aldi Aldi shopping bag you got sent to you, Trevor. That's right. You know, Untraceable Aldi shopping bag. Have you ever tried to get through airport security with a bag full of cash? Well, Well, because they x-ray everything. And if you show up with a bag full of cash, they're going to open and say, what's all this about? Who was the Ipswich Lord Mayor? What's his Pasali name? Pasali. He yeah. got caught with cash in Melbourne Airport. Yeah, exactly. Sniffer dogs, but they were onto him, I think, at They that probably point. were, but so everything goes the, through an x-ray and they but, can see what's in the they bag. used the sniffer dogs in the airport to, I think they were onto him at that point, and the sniffer dogs... They said, here, check this guy out. And, and you know, oh, what are you doing with $10,000 with $10, cash? Oh, I was doing it for a, uh, for a friend. A, a, for a friend. Yeah. And then, of course, it all turned, <laughs> just uh, turned to look, mud for Pasali after but that. But if, you, if you've read anything about the Vatican, the history of the Vatican, mm. intrigue is the Vatican's sort of, op, mm. you know, modus operandi yes. half the time. because. Yes. You know, they, there are even rumours that time. some of the popes have been murdered by other contenders. Yes. And, it's, yeah. you know, there's probably some grain of but truth. They did it? terrible things in the Second World War with the transfer of Nazis around the place. and what Transfer they, of Jews, you mean? Uh, no, Nazis. 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 Yes, they ran a Nazi underground transfer system. Seriously? So, yes. Saving Nazis, getting them out of yes. Europe at the yes. end? Yes, and funneling them off to South America. Oh, really? Terrible oh. stuff that yeah. they did and turned a blind eye to all sorts of stuff. And even with... Hitler, they were supporting him because this whole idea, remember how in he was Europe, the last, Catholic, in he Europe, was the last bastion against the Soviet Union, wasn't he? Yes, in the Europe, godless communists. We've discussed it before. In Europe, on your tax return, you a certain amount will go to your church 
Talking about Germany, I think, rather than Europe, aren't you? Yes. Yeah. But several European countries. It's true, yes. And if you say you're Catholic, then of your tax, there's like an automatic tithing yeah. would go to a church. It's true. And that was part of a deal that the Vatican struck with Hitler at the time. Mm-hmm. So, um, that yeah, they've in bed with the devil for a long time and there's yeah, terrible things they've been up to. I've got a book on the shelf up there which is about... Vatican skullduggery, and we'll have to get into that. Now, one now you're saying the devil so, is Hitler. Yeah, well, it's an insult to the devil. <laughs> insult perhaps. to mm. poor old Lucifer. Right. Um, so you mentioned you want to talk about Victorian gender laws. Or- oh well, just that uh, a a, an, a new bureaucrat has been appointed, uh, a woman. Unsurprisingly, a new faithful public servant. Has a new been faithful public servant mm. who is going to be the what was what's she called? The equality person was it? I don't know if they used the word gender, but maybe gender equality commissioner or something like that. Yes, right. Now she didn't. I I I read a little bit about it. She's not supposedly there just to make things better for women, because she did mention uh, paterni- pater- paternity leave. Mm-hmm. And making it easier for men to stay at home and care for young children while their wives resume full time work, which is which is great, of course. And I th- I think all of us, you know, would would favour anything that facilitated that. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's also about quotas, as we know, mm-hmm. and uh, she's going to be given the power to enforce new measures, which really? I think it's safe to assume are going to include quotas mm-hmm. for women. At all levels of the public service, all branches of the, of the Victorian public service. Mm. And she claims that they're basically uh, setting the tone for the private sector as well to follow suit. Right. So, setting a tone without enforcing it. So, okay, well, I'm just going to link to an article here that says that uh, new laws in Victorian mean public service organisations will be required to set gender targets. Organisations could face the Victorian civil and administrative tribunal if they fail to hit their targets and the latest global gender gap report found that over the past 14 years australia fell from 15th in the world to 44th yeah but measured against what uh measured against other countries in terms of gender gap but what are the criteria but they talk also about the pay gap the so-called gender pay gap Mm. now we all know that in this country it is illegal to pay people different rates for mm. the same job. Mm. So there is clearly no is it? gender pay gap. What there is, is it? what there is. No is, it, no, is it illegal? It's absolutely illegal. What about stories we hear about um, television personalities on morning breakfast no, shows? No, they're on private contracts. So that's not illegal. It's not. That's the private sector. Uh, and So it's well, public sector, it's Not illegal. just because it's the private sector. No, even in yeah. private businesses i believe it is illegal now those entertainers are in a sort of different industry if you like where each individual negotiates their own contract if if there's no award so for example a mcdonald's hamburger flipper is Mm. under some award yeah it's the same for boys and girls women and men yeah okay obviously equal but when you when you get above an award rate and you're in a managerial position it's it's what you negotiate exactly so, um, so it's so, not illegal to pay people a different rate once you're above an award rate. 
Yes. What we're talking about is award rates, right? It is illegal to pay men and women differently. I don't know what we're talking about. I think they're I saying that they want is. people to... I think they're trying to breach the gender gap for above-award managerial well, positions, look, look, I would point, have thought. The point I was going to make is that I think it's, it's just a fact that in Australia, men and women mm-hmm. doing the same job get the same pay. Mm-hmm. But what... Don't what it, think that's entirely true well, because I've got just friends let me finish of mine this point. women and they don't get Rather paid. than... What, I've got friends of mine who, who do are the same job. who are doing the same job as myself and I was very embarrassed to find out that they were getting paid less than I was. Yes, but Scott, you've told me that in different jobs you've had, you've been paid different amounts. Absolutely. So clearly yeah. that's something that you have to negotiate. You've got to negotiate that. Exactly. And that, and that, that exactly. Is, that is the, the whole point. I do not understand why women... Put up with it. Well, I no. don't understand why they're not as good a negotiator as a man is. I don't understand it. That is one of the things that does come across, though. Yeah, but look, the point I was going to make is that women clearly have a lifetime earnings gap. Those women who take time off to have children have a lifetime earnings gap. But, okay, I but, agree with you there. But when they're but on you- the job, generally speaking, men and women... Do not have a pay gap. They, no, that's not true. Certainly, I don't certainly think that's in my right, industry, in the education industry, men and yeah. women get paid the same. Yeah, yeah but that's not true. In lots of industries, that's not true. Are you sure? Yeah. You're, you're on an award there, Paul, and the education award and that sort of stuff that mm-hmm. pays the same whether you're man or woman. Yeah. That's right. But, but it has and, been and, like and, that and, since the 1970s. Is it an hourly rate? Uh, it depends. Right. It depends. If you're a casual worker, it's an hourly rate. If you're mm. a full-time worker, it's a, it's mm. a salary. Mm. There's certainly the case that in middle management and upper management, women tend to get paid less. And there's various reasons, but one of them does seem to be that men are more inherently aggressive in asking for pay increases and driving a higher income just because they – and this could be just psychological things that are related to being a man as opposed to women who, on average, might be a little less forward in mm. pushing for these things. Yeah. There's all sorts of factors that come in. Sure. And there's other factors, of course, where women are full pregnant, have a couple of years away from the workforce, try and come in. They're now two years behind where they were with the male yeah, yeah. bounce. All that sort of stuff sure. comes into play as well. So. Yeah. But um, so um, the sympathies are there. But certainly your point about quotas and equality of outcome is a really dangerous thing to do. I agree. And so I'm kind of with you there. Here's my theory is that you should basically make it as easy as possible for women to re-enter the workforce and you should hold jobs for them and you should have excellent maternity leave provisions but then deciding on quotas that X number have to reach X position, it just equality of outcomes is a dangerous idea. Very, and very dangerous. We were talking earlier about just the example, for example, um, you know, early childhood, you know, um, primary school teachers or um, primary school or, teachers or, or, are or, actually or, not that the, badly off even compared uh, to uh, high school it, teachers. Just, just by the very nature, though, you'd find a lot of women in that profession because. That's what their desire is to be in that profession, and there are other reasons why there are fewer men in primary yeah, teaching, yeah. as we know. Yeah. When when yeah. I was a child, yeah. I think there were at least as many male yeah. teachers as female in my yeah. primary school. Yeah. But now you go into a primary school, 
you'd be lucky to see 10% of the staff as males. Yeah. Mel in the chat room has given us a link saying it starts after graduation and it looks like an article from The Guardian that says gender pay gap begins students straight after university graduate data report UK. And Mel, it wouldn't surprise me if that's one of those things where it's it's sort of the psychology of women as opposed to men. We are different biologically. And it no. Does, it does cause we differences. And um, <laughs> men are full of bullshit and bravado and I want this and women are often, on average, that's a generalisation, but might be a bit more circumspect and not as pushy. Like that's part of what happens there. So, um, But I still yeah. think this, this uh, idea of the gender pay gap is, is pushed in terms that are far too simplistic you know i mean there is a there is a bit of complexity in the issue and and i think you know these advocates who come out and say we've we've got to tackle the gender pay gap they don't actually explain what they mean by the gender pay gap in clear terms and it, i think it leads people to think you know that the the problem is blatantly worse than it actually is you get some awful results like my son and his wife were telling me about a different mining company where this guy who had worked in the section for 20 years, he'd done the job for the last two years in an acting position, mm. ended up not getting the promotion because some um, girl got the job. She was totally outside of mining. She had a crazy qualification that was nothing to do with supervising a bunch of engineers and it was mm. all part of a quota that, yep. that that occurred and that's... You get some crazy decisions there. Yeah. So um, that's the risk of quotas, I think. You've got to make it as easy as possible for women to get back into the workforce and force companies to hold jobs for them and all that sort mm. of stuff. But, Absolutely. But uh, in, holding quotas is a, is a dangerous thing. So um, uh, Mel says you need to insert Arnie's kindergarten cop quote in the show notes. What was the quote? Well, what that probably would be yeah. – I think uh, Arnie in kindergarten cop was probably um, – that was where he – I never had saw to, it. He had to be in charge of a kindergarten. He's probably saying, like, you should be paid more for doing this mm. role. And I agree. Oh, yeah. Look, I've yeah. long thought, and I, th- yeah. I think you guys would yeah. agree, that the childcare mm. workers are terribly underpaid. And it does seem to be the case that roles that women tried would be willing to do, which might be working in aged care centres, early childhood, caring roles that women would naturally be inclined to do are some of the lowest paid in mm. our uh, society. So mm-hmm. bump up the pay, pay those people more, but don't necessarily have a quota for that, I think. Um, mm. Yeah. Anyway, it's a tricky one. Well, you could argue with – I don't think it's that tricky. But anyway, we, 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 you could argue with people about that one for a while, um, uh, about the, the, the benefits, the pros and the cons of um, quotas. Right, uh, just quickly, I saw an article that the Queensland government has struck a royalties agreement with Minor Adani, which would allow it to defer payments – at the Carmichael coal mine. What a surprise. So it would be able to defer royalty payments, the Adani coal mine. And one of the terms of the government's framework requires any project granted a deferral to offer some security for payment, which means 
It's supposed to be that if you say to a company like Adani, well, you don't have to pay these royalties until later, there should be some security, a mortgage, some some security over assets to make sure you will get paid if you're going to delay the payment of royalties. And in this article it says, it is not clear how the long-standing issue of Adani providing security to allow the royalties agreement to proceed has been overcome, and Treasurer Cameron Dick told reporters the details were commercial in confidence. That's what they always say. It just gives me the shits, this commercial in confidence. Me too, every like time I hear it. This, it's like the agreement with the AFL about how much are we going to pay you that we can have our grand final here. Oh, that's commercial in confidence. No, no, this is government money. We that's need right. to know what you are exactly. doing with our money. If the taxpayers are paying for it, yep. they have a right to know what their money is being spent on and yes. how much is being spent, surely. Yes. And Did I don't we? care if other states find out what deals we're doing. We, the taxpayer, need to know that what's going on. Commercial in confidence is just a green light to keep things secret from us. Yeah. Did we pay the AFL for hosting the yes. grand final up here, did yes. we? We paid them. They didn't yes, pay us. that's right. Because of the increased tourism benefits. Oh, for <laughs> fuck's sake. But the border's closed, isn't it? The border's still sort of closed. For, for a sold-out stadium. This but, is a but, load of shit. This is, this is the sort of crap that really gives me the shits. Because, you know, you could have said to the, you could have said to the AFL, hey... Have it in Victoria. See how many people you get to turn up there. Yeah. You know, it's just a yeah. load of nonsense. That's right. Or if Western Australia wants to pay you $30 million for having the grand final, let okay. them have it. Go. Exactly. Well, have a good time. Hope it's a good game. See ya. Just because what are you offering us? How, how are we getting a dollar back from paying you guys to have a grand final here? Like... This is just such bullshit that you've got governments falling over themselves, handing out money to organisations to host a fucking sporting match up here. Mm. Sport's important to Australians, Scott. No, yeah. it's not, Paul. It's a load of shit, and it's got to stop. Actually, oh, you know the no, other thing it's that's not complete shit. Let's be let's be fair. A lot of people do place a lot of importance in their, you know. Even watching sport for them, it's a, it's an important part of their lives. So we can't just write off those people who genuinely love sport. But at the same time, you know, if our money is being spent on this event, then we deserve to know exactly how it's spent, don't mm-hmm. we? Mm-hmm. And those guys that flew up here from the AFL, they should have been made to be quarantined properly. Well, they were quarantined in a bubble. That now they were not quarantined in a bubble, Trevor. They were able to travel around and all that sort of stuff. I don't think so, Scott. Travelling bubble, Scott. (laughs) Well, they were all they all had to stay together in the same hotel and stuff, didn't they? They stay in the same hotel, but they didn't. I don't think they were allowed to. They go out to the they could go out to the bars and the pools and all that sort of stuff of that hotel. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, two they, of them escaped and, they can't and, just and went to Cavill freely. Avenue and, and would, yeah. They can't just wander freely no, through they the can't. community, no, can no, they? No, they can't. No, not until they've done their two weeks. I mean, they can't even go yeah. over and shake hands of a, of a supporter after yeah. the match anymore. We, you remember no. yeah. some, some weeks or months ago, yeah. some player made the mistake of going over and hugging one of the fans after a match? Right. And then he was quarantined for two weeks. Good. Yeah. So, you know, they don't have mm. complete but, but freedom to s- move around. Sort of allied with this concept is often you'll get uh, companies like Virgin or 
others who are saying, or Amazon, who would say, uh, we're going to put our head offer somewhere. Not sure which state we're going to put it in. Who is going to give us the sweetheart deal to put our business in their state, which will bring jobs to their state? That's what it's about. If I was the Prime Minister of the country and had the power, I'm not sure it would be constitutional, but I would make those sort of deals illegal. Mm. I'd say you're just playing one state off against another until you get a deal and nobody benefits from that except for you. So the states should agree to come to a deal that they will never provide a incentive, you know, tax-wise or whatever, mm. payroll tax or whatever incentives they offer these people mm. for corporate headquarters um, because we're just giving money away to corporate entities and... And a lot of those are done commercial in confidence as well. Mm. We don't ever actually find out what the deal was, supposedly because we don't want other states to know what we did so that in future we can do it again and win a deal. Yeah. Like, this is wrong. I sort of agree with you, Trevor. But on the other hand, um, I, was, I was disappointed when the government allowed the motor car industry to leave Australia. Yeah. Because I thought it had a lot of flow-on benefits, even though the government had for it, it, forever been giving money but, to yeah, General but, Motors but and Ford different, and Toyota. But that wasn't a company saying, we're deciding where our head office is, who gives us the best deal? That yeah. was that was a different... That was where they were really relying on the federal government to say, yeah, we're going to collapse still, unless it's you... It's still a government giving money to a corporate entity it, to, you know, to keep an operation going. Uh, it's yeah, not but that, that, but that, that, had a re- that had a return, whereas... Virgin was always going to have to put its headquarters somewhere. somewhere. Mm. It had decided to do business in Australia. So yeah. it had to put its business somewhere. We mm-hmm. did not have to give them a tax break. Whereas with Agreed. the, with the um, car manufacturing business, the car manufacturers could say, we're about to collapse here. We're going entirely from the country unless you... Help us, and it worked and, for and, them for several decades, didn't and, it? And and now Scott Morrison is saying, "Oh, well, we're going to help the manufacturing business yes. with X billions of dollars." Exactly. Well, where was he when we had a manufacturing exactly. business? And where was he? Wouldn't it have been so much easier, indeed, to build up other you know allied industries, manufacturing yeah. industries, if the car industry was still a functioning entity in this country? Because right. it it created thousands and thousands of jobs, not right. only directly manufacturing cars as we know, but, yep. you know, associated industries. Yes, indeed. And so we've lost that core part of the manufacturing in this country. It's just gone and it's not and, coming back. And we've lost a level of self-sufficiency. So exactly. when things like the coronavirus comes and we say, actually, we need a whole lot of ventilators, anybody able to knock up some ventilators? Well, when you had the sort of parts-making industry for the car industry, mm-hmm. those were the sorts of people who could have turned towards making a ventilator. So, um, Have the sleep apnea companies yeah. converted themselves to running um, running the manufacturing ventilators? Mm. So um, Joe in the chat room says, the argument for funding car manufacture on shore was to be able to build armaments in wartime with modern weapons. That argument is mute. Well, it might have been one of the arguments. Yeah, but it's but not, not the whole argument, yes. Joe, is it? Mm. I mean, obviously, manufacturing is about making all kinds of things. Yes. And useful things. Yeah. So, um, point taken, Joe, but um, just remember, 
stand back and stand by. Right, okay. Now, um, uh, did you ever get a, you know, last week, I, maybe it was a couple of weeks ago, I said to you, I don't understand Spiked and Spectator mm-hmm. and their reluctance to support Julian Assange. Mm. Did you have a write to him and say, oh, where's no, a positive article Sorry. about Julian Assange? No, I haven't written to right. them yet. Okay. All right. Well, just on Julian Assange, um, Craig Murray is a former British ambassador to Uzbekistan and a long-time confidant of Julian Assange. And he's been fastidiously reporting on the Australian's publisher's extradition hearing. Uh, Yet few people have been reading it. And this, according to Craig Murray, is because of a deliberate decision by online media giants to downplay or suppress discussions of the case. So Murray, in his blog, said that he usually receives around 50% of his readers from Twitter and 40% from Facebook links. But this has dropped to 3% and 9% respectively during the hearing. So while the February hearings sent around 200,000 readers to his site, that figure is now only 3,000. So he's saying that Twitter and Facebook used to send a lot of people to him and now they're not. And he's crying foul. Sounds like a conspiracy. It does sound like a conspiracy. But he's giving figures of but, what's... But how what, can he assess why that has changed? But, well, okay. So so he is saying that according to his statistics, he was getting 200,000 and now he's getting three. And the story of Julian Assange... The story of Julian Assange it's still bubbling away and it's, if anything, getting more interesting. Mm. So um, he's saying they're not sending the traffic to him like they were before and he's showing the statistics, right? So it's so far seems legitimate. I mean, so um, um, what he is saying is that they're doing it on purpose. and They might be, but yeah. how would we know? Yeah. Well, here's what is interesting. Um Silicon Valley tech giants are becoming increasingly closely intertwined with the State Department to the point where it's difficult to tell where one ends and another begins. For example, Facebook is now in close partnership with the Atlantic Council, who essentially decides for them what content to promote in people's news feeds and what content is discarded as fake news, misinformation or low quality. The problem is that the Atlantic Council is a NATO cutout and a government-funded organisation whose board of directors is a who's who of deep state officials, including virtually every living ex-CIA director, Bush-era cabinet members like Condoleezza Rice and Colin Powell, and military generals like Wesley Clark and David Petraeus. Thus, an organisation like this is deciding what the world sees on their screens is barely one step removed from total government control of the flow of information. So the argument is... The Julian Assange stories that he's got on his blog are not being uh, referred like they were in February. Mm. And Facebook is using um, the Atlantic Council as part of how do we decide what's fake and what's not. And and the Atlantic Council is, in his view, behind... Why he's not getting? Had you guys heard of the Atlantic Council before? No, no, I'd I'd never it's the first I've heard of it. Mm. There's, there's dozens and dozens of right wing think tank You're groups. You're assuming they're right wing, Trevor. Uh, 
I mean, I'm not suggesting they're left-wing if they're coming out of the US government. If the board of directors is a who's who of virtually every ex-CIA director and Bush-era cabinet members, I think it's fairly safe to say it's right. I don't. I don't. And look... Well, we'll have to just agree to disagree on that one, Paul. It's been something I've been thinking about recently, but I think we should devote an episode, or at least part of an episode sometime in the near future, to what exactly does right-wing mean? What does left-wing mean? Your own favourite magazine, The Spectator, talks about left and right wing. Do they? Yes. So uh, well, in, in they today's... May, they may in, well. They but, talk about the crazy left all the time. Oh, I see what you mean. Yes, they do. Now, I would, I would label The Spectator sort of conservative publication rather than a right wing. But, but, but they to, bag the left. Of they, course they do. And they call it the left. Yes, they do. So because they don't identify as left. They identify as conservative. But you're asking what is left and what's right, well, and is there such a thing? My I'm argument, saying your favourite magazine says there is such a thing. No, what I'm saying is my, my argument is that what a lot of people who identify as left see as right wing is anything that's not them. And I, what I'm saying is the world isn't divided into left and right. There are a lot of... Uh, shades of that don't fit into these neat neat left-right categories. I see myself as one. I mean, I come from the left. Well, but here's the thing. You can talk about... certainly not right-wing, even though I reject a lot of the contemporary left-wing bullshit. But we can talk about what is traditionally left-wing and what is traditionally right-wing, and we can say that... We would follow a traditional left-wing on this issue... Um, blah, 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 but when it comes to freedom of speech and identity politics, we abandon the left and we, we take what would be considered a right-wing position it's on that. It's not right-wing. You see, this is a, my no, argument. No, no, freedom of speech no, no, is a left-wing thing. It has no, been No, no but forever. the left have abandoned that and have given it oh, to the I right. Oh, I you mean, yes. No, they haven't given it to the right. The, they've just pretended. Well, 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 they've abandoned it and only people supporting freedom of speech and who are against identity politics are now people who are of the right, who are in all other circ- all other aspects right-wingers. Well, this is where I disagree. I don't think that it's been taken up by people who are right-wing. I think it's yeah. been taken up by people who are so turned off by the mm. directions the contemporary left has taken mm. that they're not necessarily right-wing people. Like me, I'm from the left. I, I agree. And I'm so, so totally but- turned off by so much of what, passes for left-wing politics these days. But, but, but you've got to... Uh, here's how I look at it. You've got traditional left-wing or, or or what you would say as mainstream left-wing in the current environment in the current and environment. mainstream right-wing in the current environment. And yeah. I agree with you that freedom of speech back in the 60s was a left-wing tenet. Back in the 18th century. Yeah, <laughs> but it is no longer... It, it, the left has abandoned they that. They have. And, and is now it is only you'll find people like Ben Shapiro and whatever on the right who are, who are advocating freedom of speech yes, stuff. But, but there's so. a lot of people, Trevor, the point I make, there's a lot of people who are not left-wing but mm. certainly not right-wing mm. who advocate for freedom of speech. People like yeah. Sam Harris, right? Yeah, yes. And a whole range of well-known public intellectuals who are definitely not right-wing. Yeah, but this is where you say, okay... But they are what I would call classical liberals. Yeah, but this is where you say that actually 
they are left in various aspects, but they deviate now from the left on these aspects because the left no longer holds those things. Yeah, because the is, is what I'm saying. The, the contemporary left's gone, yes. gone down Alice's rabbit hole. Indeed, <laughs> that's right. Anyway, we can talk about left and right wing. <laughs> we could. It's interesting, uh, dear listener. It's we an just, interesting. We, just, we discussed it before. When we, why is it called left and right wing? And the answer is that in the French court, French Revolution. Yes, they uh, in their the, parliaments when they were arguing in the parliaments, they yeah. found that those who supported the monarch or the king, um, who supported tradition, and, who supported social hierarchy, who yes. supported the monarchy, yes. these were the right wingers. Yes, and the groups were often swearing and cursing and in spitting at each other, so they tended to divide on the opposite sides yeah. of the room to get away from the harassment. And the left, and those who on supported, the left of the speaker, were the revolutionaries, that's right. the people who wanted to overthrow the old regime. Indeed, and that's how we got left and right yes. wing. Is but it doesn't really yeah. neatly fit the contemporary yeah. political scene. No, but it's how we come up with left and right wing. Yeah. If you but I think wing. people are too flippant with these labels, you know. Yeah. I well, think we need a little bit need, more nuance. Yeah, well, yeah, and we've discussed the nuance, but you do need to be able to have abstract concepts that encompass ideas that you then work with. I so, agree, and I use the terms myself just yeah. as, you know, yeah. shorthand, yes. verbal shorthand. Yes, because you, you don't like to be labelled left or right. You like to identify with certain ideas yes, and you don't like to be labelled as such. The but ideas in, in, of liberty and In order of describing progress. people, it's shorthand for saying this is a person who generally thinks this way yeah. but they deviate from that in certain respects, yeah. uh, well, minor respects. It's but just a shorthand way of describing it, people. It is, but it's too simple and it leads people into this trap of mm. calling everyone a Nazi if mm. they think they're not on the same side as them, you know? Mm. That's a different topic. Right. Um, uh, we had some feedback from Landon Hardbottom. Yeah. As the uh, listeners would know, I regularly correspond <laughs> with Landon Hardbottom via text message. And this is his latest. Twelfth man is turning into a nitpicking, grumpy old man. So I responded, you mean his rant about fiascos? Yes. A reasonable person would agree that if Andrew's government can't answer questions about who did what, when, or whose job it was to do what, then that's a fiasco, not an opinion. Thank you very much, Landon. But he's wrong. Oh, for God's sake, Paul. No, he is. <laughs> It's a subjective opinion. A fiasco is still a subjective opinion. He said it was a fiasco, and I agree with a fiasco is a... I think Landon's taking the piss a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) You you can't argue with Landon there. I think Landon's got you on that one. (laughs) Sorry, Landon. Right. Your uh, camera froze, um, but now, thanks to Joe, who alerted me to it, (laughs) you're now... um, Thanks, Joe. Thank you. Anyone else out there, if you see um, 12 Men's camera freeze, let me know. Cause just yeah, why do I have so. that effect on the cameras? Yeah, because you're going regularly. through a different... Dear listener, if you ever do a live stream, you'll find that a computer can only handle so many cameras off one computer and you have to do NDI and you're on the NDI system. So you occasionally... That's what happens NDI. to you. Yeah. Right. Makes me sound disabled or something. So um, we've had some lovely feedback from some people in recent mm-hmm. weeks. And um, so thanks to some recent beer sponsors, uh, Brett, Paul and Steve. I was a bit of a regular down at the BWS at the Gap in recent times. Mm-hmm. Um, Thank you very much, guys. Yes. Yeah. And um, thanks to David in WA who's, who wrote... Um, Keep up the good work. I love disagreeing with the 12th man every week. I like the way he makes me have to think and look at the other side of an argument. 
Good to have Scott back too. I missed him. His influence on the podcast is understated but vital. <laughs> Thank you very, very much. True. I appreciate yes. that, David. And from a new patron, Matt, who writes, Hello, Fist. I listen to podcasts every day and have done so for about eight years. There are upwards of 70 podcasts in my library. Wow. This is the first time I have contributed to a podcast. <laughs> it is obvious how much time and effort must go into each episode. P.S. I stole 14 episodes off you and I don't intend to give them back. <laughs> That's all right, Matt. What Matt was getting at there was uh, basically, dear listener, you're allowed up to 20, 25 episodes. Once you're hooked, we're a little bit like crack dealers here. Once you're hooked, then we start to uh, turn we the screws. To charge, yeah. yeah. So um, by all means, your first 20 to 25, get a feel for us. Um, it's an acquired taste for sure. <laughs> Yeah, it is an acquired taste, isn't it, Paul? But um, but once you get to that point and you're thinking, I love this show, I've got to listen to it. Oh, there's an episode, let me listen to it. When you're at that point, then it would be nice if you would sign up as a patron to help pay for the subscriptions and everything that um, go into this podcast. So thanks, Matt. That was a really – and thank you to David. They were really good messages. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, AOC, you don't like AOC, do you? No. She's right. a social justice warrior. Oh, I like her. I and like She doesn't really have enough life experience to to presume that she knows how to run a country. I, I think she's got, uh, in some ways, a lot more life experience than some of the other guys there who have led very privileged, privileged lives. Like, she's I mean, worked as a waitress and, and she's worked in... She understands hard times much more than a lot of the other members of the Congress would understand. I'm not arguing that there mm. are other unqualified members mm. of the Congress. There, I'm sure there are plenty. Have mm. you read the Green New Deal, Paul? No. Mm. No. I recommend you read the Green New Deal because mm. it's a very thought-provoking document. It really makes you think. Okay. And it's, you know, it's not compulsory or anything like that. She just wanted the government to adopt it and have a target for the energy process. Can you recall any major points in it? Well, the energy pro- the, the main process was it to try and get to zero carbon emissions, which was going to be a very big thing for them to achieve, but she thought that you could achieve it if you actually set out and you started to do things with it. I think well, she's, she's not going to make it with solar and wind power alone, that's for sure. No, she's not. But they've also got a hell of a lot of nuclear in the United States. which And they should be building state. more because it's... Anyway, I like it's her. efficient. But uh, there's a campaign against her. And here's some of the dirty tricks that happen in, in the world of politics, dear listener. And so she does lots of things where she meets community groups and they're filmed and stuff like that. And um, she was at a, this community group and... Um, basically, this woman got up and said, I'm a big supporter of yours. And then she made these really outlandish statements. Mm. And that became reason for people like Donald Trump Jr. to say, oh, just another crazy AOC leftish supporter. These guys are nuts. But it turns out that this woman was a plant by... um, by an odd group, and I'll, I'll play you some of what she said, so let me... So Deliberately to undermine AOC. Indeed, mm. to make it seem like AOC supporters <clears throat> were nutters. <clears throat> and th- so she stands up and as part of the sort of town hall type thing that they mm-hmm. do there. I'll play you some of the audio now. Scott, you'll need your headphones on, so here we go. So, 
We only have a few months left. I love that you support the Green Deal, but it's not getting, you know, getting rid of fossil fuel is not going to solve the problem fast enough. A Swedish professor saying, you know, we can eat dead people, but that's not fast enough. So I think your next uh, campaign slogan has to be this. We got to start eating babies. We don't have enough time. There's too much CO2. All of you, you're, you're, you know, you're a pollutant. Too much CO2. We have to start now, please. You are so great. I'm so happy that you're really supporting the Green Deal, but it's not enough. You know, even if we would bomb Russia, we still have too many people, too much pollution. So we have to get rid of the babies. That's a big problem. Just stopping having babies is not enough. We need to eat the babies. And this is very serious. Please give a response. Thank you. No, thank you. So this is the depths that these groups will go to to undermine. It just sounds like a loony. Yeah, yeah, but, you know, Donald Trump Jr. tweets seems like a normal AOC supporter to me. Like, this is the sort of way of influencing public opinion when you go, that's a typical AOC reporter. Oh, I love what you're doing at the Green New Deal, but you're not doing enough. You've got to start eating. Like, that's just part of the manipulation of public opinion that I think is really scary. Do do you not think that the Democrats, you know, for their part... um stereotype Donald Trump supporters, you know, as sort of these uneducated, backwards hicks? I think uh, that was probably the, the quite... basket of deplorables. Yeah, yeah that, I think that, that was, it happens on both sides. I think that was quite it's, relevant with Hillary Clinton. I don't yeah, think it's relevant but, now. But, but they haven't been found guilty of planting people in a, um, a town hall meeting who are purporting to be a Trump supporter and making an outlandish statement like, uh, like that. Like children guns. Like yeah. that's the point is that they're trying to create a false impression by, by a fake supporter making a fake statement to make AOC supporters <laughs> sound fake. Like it's just, it's part of the danger of but this. It would be obvious to any sort of, you know, left-leaning person in the United States that clearly AOC isn't, Advocating eating babies. No, no. Anybody would recognise that. There'd be lots of people who would fall for that and go, "Oh, those AOC people—they're nuts. They're so crazy. Look at look at what they've done. They're now supporting eating babies. Like they're just crazy. You can't support that woman. She's a nutter, and so are her supporters. Like that's an easy. That's an people aren't as critical thinking as you might think they are, Paul. On both People sides. are that stupid. Indeed. On both sides. Indeed. So I don't think it's fair to just sort of say, oh, look what the horrible Republicans are doing. The Democrats are you up know, to the same sort of dirty tricks. But, but planting somebody as a supposed supporter and saying, I love what you're doing, and but then making an outrageous statement yeah. and, and saying and we need to go further. that a misguided supporter of... Joe Biden might take it upon themselves to do something well, similar. Well, the point is, we've got no evidence of that happening as yes, yet. But it's it's you know it's more than possible. Haven't seen it yet, but I've seen this one, so that's the point. <laughs> Joe Bradley had something very funny to say. I prefer yeah. the term "human veal." So. <laughs> mm. um, Makes it sound more acceptable. Exactly. Doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Here's an article that. Uh, um, the other Paul sent me today, which was about Jessica Krug. Krug? Krug? K-R-U-G? Um, a George Washington University professor who made headlines around the world 
after confessing that she had long claimed to be black and she's resigned. Um, she admitted to pretending to be black for years while in fact she is a white woman from Kansas City. She um, claimed identities that I had no right to claim. First, north of African blackness, <coughs> then US-rooted blackness, then Caribbean-rooted Bronx blackness. Her colleagues um, were shocked and appalled by uh, after finding out that she'd lied about her identity for her entire career. She's been a strong black activist. So... Um, Thoughts? The appropriate response? Laughter. I mean, what an idiot. I mean, to think that she would want to assume something, some identity that doesn't really sort of suit her ancestry profile. But, you know, and then these people are ridiculous, aren't they? I mean, but it, it's cultivated by this, this identity consciousness, isn't mm-hmm. this This whole thing that, you know, you are defined by your ancestry, by what mm. you look like physically. Mm. It's absurd. Mm. And this is just one of the um, byproducts of that whole identity politics bullshit. So we've um, talked about this topic previously. A few times. Mm. Way back in episode 97. Dear listener, are you listening to this podcast? Have you gone back into the archives? Are you aware of episode 97 when we talked about Rachel Dolezal. Oh, yeah. So she was another you know, activist uh, claiming to be black. With then... middle, um, middle European ancestry, I think. Right. It? Yeah, something right. like that. Um, so she was outed by her parents who said, <laughs> her daughter's not black. It's like she's claiming to be. Yeah. Not the case. So... Uh, dear listener, go to episode 97 and get our full thoughts on that one. But at the time, I made the comment that um, I was talking about Caitlyn Jenner. So Bruce Jenner, famous decathlete, won the Olympic gold in the decathlon, ended up changing sex and becoming a woman. And uh, there was an article that I referred to at that time, which was this article that said, well, why is it that Caitlyn Jenner can assume another gender, mm. whereas Rachel Dolezal, and you could now say uh, Jessica Krug, can't assume another ethnicity? Like yeah. if you could actually assume and take over and adopt another gender, why couldn't you? Seems take- easier in a way, doesn't it? It seems less no of a surgery. It seems less of a stretch. <laughs> yes. So the left. Um, the traditional left, as we currently understand it in a contemporary world of 2020, would be quite sympathetic to somebody who adopts a new gender, but, but not is a new race. very unsympathetic to somebody Hostile. who adopts a new um, yeah, very ethnicity. Yeah. And I was thinking to myself, well, is it because the person who adopts a new gender openly states this is what I'm doing and there's no deception or misleading but i don't think the left requires somebody to announce what they've done like you could be just a nobody and you are now a woman and you don't have to go telling people i once was a man but now i'm a woman just so everybody understands what i'm doing Mm. so um it's not really a case of deception and, and, and telling people what you're doing it's just a case of some things can be appropriated gender no. But some things 
can't. Race is sacrosanct. Yeah. So, um, so it's interesting, I think. Um, by the way, in the chat room, Paul, just back to our earlier conversation, mm-hmm. um, Joe said um, there are good people on both sides. So, <laughs> <laughs> And he's right. Yes. There are good people on mm. both sides. I like that one. Yeah. So... Um, Joe says, if you believe in gendered brains, then there is a difference between gender and race. So um, so you could... But not everybody who adopts a new gender necessarily has a gendered brain. Like, there just might be a desire to identify as a different gender. Like, uh, I understand that there are people who... Some people are, I feel, you know, I was born a male, but I feel like I am a woman in every respect. I think I am female and therefore I want to transition across. But, you know, you don't have to necessarily be that way. You could be, I just like the idea of transitioning. I would like to, I would prefer to transition and be something, another gender. So it doesn't have to be part of a gendered brain to transition. So... It's a tricky one for the left to sort of um, crucify this woman for... Smells like a double standard a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah. So anyway, that's a dilemma for those who take that view because you strike uh, conundrums like that. So, Mm. um, But, yeah, it's just interesting, Scott. What about age? Age is another one where you're not allowed to pretend... To be the yes. age you're not. Yes. You know, like how... But we did a story on that as well. We there was did. a guy, a Swedish guy or yeah, something, yeah, yeah. who said, I feel like I'm 55 yes. and I want to put that down on my Tinder profile rather that's than right. 65 yes. because that's what I feel like I am. So I no. feel I'm discriminated against if I'm not allowed to. Mm. Yeah. So, so, Scott, we've been podcasting so long, we're repeating ourselves and the exactly. stories of black yeah. activists who turn out to be white. That's, mm. that's how long we've been going here. So... um. Uh, so I just want to make the comment here that um, I was talking to my next door neighbour and we just uh, we were discussing politics and stuff and and he was sort of saying ah oh, Labor you know they're so into this identity politics stuff and they are these days well not all of them but I don't think Labor is really I think the Greens are I think lots of People on the left are into the whole identity politics. But I don't hear, I didn't hear Bill Shorten, I don't hear Anthony Albanese, I don't hear Anastasia Palaszczuk, I don't hear any of them ever talking about this sort of identity issue. What about um, our friend in Victoria? I I don't hear him either talking about identity issues. Well, part of the scandal around the... um the fiasco of the hotels was that he hired a, a security company to do the job on the basis that they were uh, it was an indigenous owned company i haven't heard that it ticked the box and that was right. uh, evidently that's what people say was one of the reasons they were selected to do the job that that's yeah needs verification because at this point they're not even saying whose decision it was to use private security guards so to allege that they chose an indigenous mob when we don't even know who made the decision to appoint private security okay how can we say dan andrews is responsible for the indigenous 
security guards when we don't even know that Dan Andrews was responsible for security guards privately. Because Dan Andrews so, doesn't want so, to take responsibility. So, well, we just don't know. So, well, it's been know, it's been I've yeah. I've read it a number of times in reports. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen it anywhere. But so. you read the Australian. No, I read very widely. <laughs> I know so, you do. Yeah. Um, anyway, I don't think that the Labor Party itself is is particularly concerned with these things. Give, I think the Greens them, are. I think time. I think the ABC is. I think the Guardian is. I think lots of them are. But what you've got to remember is the Labor isn't on the left anyway anymore. Anyway, like they're they're, they're not that left. As we are seeing in relation to these tax they've, breaks. They've, they've wandered been... off into a, a new territory <laughs> that nobody else inhabits. They're just a sort of a shadow right wing. And, um, ah. and besides bedroom issues, the two parties are the same now. Bedroom issues? Yeah, you know, things like... Um, Who abor- sleeps on ab- which side of the bed? You know, marriage equality and, and you know, that sort of thing. Okay. Uh, sort of conservative social... Views mm-hmm. are the only thing that seems to separate these things. So, and I always love quoting this thing from Chris Hedges, who talks about: um, um, Is there a difference? Well, of course, there's a difference. It, it's how you want corporate fascism delivered to you. Do you want it delivered by a Princeton-educated Goldman Sachs criminal, or do you want it delivered by a racist, nativist, Christian fascist? He's, of course, talking about the United States, and we, unfortunately, with the Labor Party, don't have Princeton-educated Goldman Sachs criminals. We just have. Labor Party hacks. So um, call me elitist, but when I'm screwed over, I'd like to be screwed over in style. And I'd rather something else than a, a Labor Party hack, if that would be possible. But there's no, there's very little difference between them now, it seems, on these economic issues. Um, that's what I was complaining about. I don't see them pushing the identity politics thing that much myself. Um, so... And you, listen, I'm a Labor Party member, so when I'm bagging them, it's because I want them to improve. I've given up on the Liberal Party, but I want the Labor Party to improve. So, hmm. yeah, that's why I'm doing all this. Well, the listeners might be surprised. Some of the listeners might mm. be dispri- mm. surprised mm. when I say that I have always voted for the Labor Party. Mm. I'm not surprised. Through I'm, gritted teeth sometimes. I'm or through, sp- you know, it's just about breaking the pencil in my hand, but... I'm, I have never, ever voted for a coalition uh, candidate, I'm, I'm ever. S- I'm surprised you haven't voted Green, because that's who I you... Have. Well, I have. There we go, okay. But many years never ago... Never again. Many years ago, right. I, I think I voted for a Green candidate for yeah. the Senate just because I thought, oh, yeah, we need we need somebody to take care of the natural environment. That's, right. a, that's a good cause, and I think right. that's why I did vote for a Green candidate, but I doubt it's going to happen again in the near future. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, we need to look. I don't blame you, Paul. Have you guys got anywhere to go in, in the next half hour? Because we just keep, <laughs> keep just keep going. <laughs> Scott, you don't have a job, but he's he getting up early in the morning and still bikes on. Still getting up very early. What yeah. time do you get up? Four. Oh dear, God, that's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. I get up and go for a walk. I come back. I ride my bike into town, and that's the stuff. I turn around and ride home, and come back and check the job boards. But I suppose oh. it becomes a habit, doesn't it? It is. Yeah. You know, you just wake up when exactly. you get used to waking up. You yeah. just wake up. Yeah. Oh, okay. We, we we should quickly talk about Donald Trump. <laughs> it's been an extraordinary few weeks. And I did think it was very amusing that the number one search term was schadenfreude after he announced he had uh, contracted COVID-19. Right, yeah. Mm. And after the debate, one of the number one search terms was apparently 
how do I emigrate to Canada or yeah, something like that? Yeah, it really wouldn't surprise yeah. me. Yeah, but when you this is one of the things. Like I remember seeing that story and I thought, is that true? And then I dug in, and it was like it was like 150 searches in overall. Maybe it was 200 to 250 searches in the whole of America were how do I get a Canadian passport or something like that. Um, it wasn't that many, like, in the scheme of things. So, clearly, I had far too much time on my hands. <laughs> <laughs> but with Trump, it's hard to keep track of what's going on. So, um, well, obviously, the latest thing is the coronavirus, and he caught it, and um, he's now saying, you know, <laughs> don't let it dominate your life. Um you know, maybe I've got immunity or whatever, and you know, um, it, it seemed at first blush it's going to cost him votes because people were saying, "Well, you stupid idiot, you've mm. caught it," and it seems it's going to cost him votes. But a significant number of people were, look, as I mentioned before, I'm still subscribed on Facebook to Sky News, and I can't believe how pro-Trump they just. Blair away with their pro-Trumpness on that on that outlet, um, and of course there were people who said, oh, "I hope Trump dies," and the outrage on Sky News. Oh, how dare they suggest that these people on the left who consider themselves to be loving and caring well, people? Critical. Well, they're pointing out the hypocrisy of the left, who keep. Saying, "Oh, everyone's using hate speech, and you know, and and the, you know, they get abused online of all places." You know, but they were more than pointing out hypocrisy. It wasn't so much hypocrisy; it was just how dare somebody say that about the president? Oh, like that was yeah, really yeah. what what it was, without acknowledging that this president has said some terrible things about other people. Yes, he's the most crass person to ever occupy that high office. Like. Y- yes. But they were just Chris full on Donald Holder. Trump, pro Donald Trump. Uh, it just it just makes me ill how how pro they are. But um, where was I going to get with that one? Um, who knows how it'll how it'll play out? Like it just wouldn't. Like every week there is something in this campaign of monumental importance. It seems like on the, what are we on now? Today's the sixth of October, so only a month ago, third of September, the uh, Atlantic published a story alleging that the president had repeatedly mocked America's war dead and injured troops. Nothing surprising there because he mocked John McCain. So he said, I prefer my war heroes who aren't captured, you know, stuff like that. So He also and, mocked a disabled journalist yes. at one of his rallies, yes. didn't he? Which yep. was yep. pretty distasteful. One week later, September 10th, there were t- tapes of Trump admitting to downplaying the coronavirus where he basically admitted, yeah... I lied about how serious it was because I didn't want people to panic. So that was with um, that reporter. Uh, Bob Woodward. Thank you. Trump Uh, said he lied, did he? Yeah. He said I I misled people because I didn't didn't want people to panic. Yep. So I, you know, I didn't tell the truth about how serious coronavirus was because I didn't want people to panic. Then eight days later, we've got Ruth Bader Ginsburg passing away. Another big event in this whole thing. Um then on September 27th, we had the story of Trump's uh, tax returns came out where he basically paid no federal income taxes in 10 of the past 15 years 
and only seven hundred and fifty dollars in two thousand and sixteen and two thousand and seventeen. Like he has a good tax accountant. So, well, when you're losing money hand over fist, it's perhaps not that hard. So, yeah. So, um, and then on the 29th, we had the presidential debate. Did you guys watch any of it? Or you just no, saw snippets? I did hear about it, yeah. yeah. Just snippets. I just saw snippets as well. I, I couldn't stomach it, no, to be honest. you'd have to be a complete masochist to do that, wouldn't you? So, um, and that seems like months ago. But So... All of these things, like just every week there is something that would normally be an earth-shattering moment in a campaign, but they just get – you get lost. Um, like now as you've got coronavirus, you kind of forget about all those things that led up to it. So mm. um, the thing I thought was interesting about the Great Debate was that um, the moderator was a guy called Chris Wallace, and he is quoted as saying, quote, I never dreamt that it would go off the tracks the way it did. Mm. I'm thinking... What's, what's, he struggled a bit, what? didn't he? He was, tr- he was doing his level best to, to keep it civil, but he just could not control Trump. This, this is the thing that gets me about that. The response to that debate was people going, oh, my God, that was a shit show. What a disaster that was. That was a train wreck. People were surprised. Like, what did you expect would happen in that? I can't believe the level of surprise from people. Oh, it's just American democracy has really collapsed now. Look at that debate. I mean, now that that's happened, I've, I've given up hope in American democracy. What did you think was going to happen? It's surely exactly what people like us would have expected from exactly. Trump, isn't it? Of course. And that's why I didn't want to watch it, because I yeah. thought, no, it's just going to be Trump being rude and obnoxious and, and Biden sort of trying to keep his head above water. Yes. So um, I, I just the thing that got me about it was just the surprise. Like, I'm surprised that people were surprised. Me too. Seriously, what did you think was going to happen in the debate? Of course it was. Dude. And uh, just back on Trump with the coronavirus, various people have said it, but um, when, they, when he initially got it, lots of people said um, – He's in several high-risk groups. Uh, he's elderly, he's obese, and he's low-income. <laughs> uh, and now he's saying, don't be afraid of COVID. Don't let it dominate your life. We have developed under the Trump administration some really great drugs and knowledge. I feel better than I did 20 years ago. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Oh, he's a clown, isn't he? One of my friends on Facebook is American, and he said that um, he's not convinced that he actually has it. He thinks that it might be a ploy and that sort of stuff so that they can cancel the rest of the debates. Mm-hmm. Yep. It really wouldn't surprise me, actually. And yet Trump was convinced that he had performed well in the debate. I know, because yes. he's an idiot. So yeah. why would yes. he want to cancel it? He was like, nah, I nailed it. You know, Indeed, yeah. Trump thinks he did very well. Yes, because yep. in his in his eyes, in his according to his frame of reference, he did indeed he did perfectly. Yep, as he does everything perfectly, as we know. Yep, he's yep. a what is he? Uh, you could put him on a lie detector, <laughs> and did you do well in the debate? He'd say yes, and he would pass. He'd pass fly colours because right. he'd be convinced that he did. Yeah. Because he's so delusional. he's a stable genius. He's mm. so delusional that he honestly <laughs> believes that he's brilliant. Mm. You know? He does. Mm. Well, gentlemen, we've reached an hour and a half. I reckon that's probably enough. And Scott, sorry, somebody on the chat room says twelfth man is a Democrat. 
Right. Yeah, an Australian Democrat. Australian Democrat. What I am is a person who believes that liberal democracy mm. is the best system we've come up with yet. Mm. But I'm certainly not a supporter of the American Democratic Party. By yeah. Any. But, uh, Kobe, the Australian Democrats with Don Chip, their, their shtick was... Keep the bastards honest. Which meant that if they went to the election saying that they were going to pass laws A, B and C, mm. then the Democrats would vote to make sure they passed A, B and C and not X, Y, Z. Mm. And it was like the Democrats didn't actually have a policy of their own except to force the government of the day to keep its promises, mm. whatever they may have been. So I don't, to put, you in like the Austra- a, I don't put you in the Australian yeah. Democrats no, no. Um, but category. They were sort of like acting as a sort of self-appointed um, extra chamber of, of checks and balances, yeah, you know what I mean? because Don Chip was ex-Liberal Party, and he I think was. he was just pissed with the but level was, of treachery and and lying to the public, and that was sort of what he... That was the genesis of the Democrats, and then it all fell apart quite <laughs> ugly at the end when... And it always does, sadly. Yeah, yeah. It always does. You know, when you've got a two-party system... That's basically what you get because um, people want to vote for a party that has a chance of winning. Mm. Well, most people, the Mm. vast majority of people want to vote for a party that has a chance of winning. Mm. And, uh, you know, a small party like the Greens, even the Greens have been a bit of a flop, haven't they? Yeah. They've never, ever gone above about, what would it be, 10% of the primary vote? Yeah, haven't had effective power. And in in recent elections, they've lost ground, haven't Mm. they? Well, so. they've picked up in the inner city in Melbourne. What, they've one got, or two seats? They've only got one seat down there. That's hardly And a... they are also threatening, you know, some of the inner city seats in Sydney. Yeah, but they're hardly a threat to the major parties. No, mm. they're not. But up here in the Queensland election, it looks like Jackie Trad's going to lose her seat. To she might, too. but still, it's only one or then two seats. Then you'll end up with two seats in the Queensland yeah, Parliament. But, you know, that's, mm. that's as far as they'll get. I just want to finish off with one article from The Shovel satirical magazine, which said um, Australia agrees to send troops to support America's invasion of America. (laughs) Citing the two nations' close historic friendship and Australia's long history of supporting American military interventions, Mm. Scott Morrison has told Donald Trump that Australia will provide immediate support for America in its war against arch-enemy America. Mm. Quote, I didn't even let him finish his sentence, Mr Morrison told journalists today. Donald said he was planning to go to war and I said... You don't even know to t- need to tell me who it's with. We're there with you. Just tell us what you need and it's yours. That's what mates do. We were there shoulder to shoulder in Baghdad. We were there shoulder to shoulder in Kabul. And we'll be there in... Sorry, just checking my notes Portland, here. Portland, Oregon. We'll be there in Washington, D.C. too. <laughs> Critics were quick to denounce the announcement, saying it was yet another example of Australia signing up to a war it couldn't win. <laughs> Once again... We're off to help the US government invade a poor, dysfunctional nation without any plan for rebuilding it later, one foreign analyst said. Yep. Australia will send 500 troops who will be stationed in a small shopping mall in New Hampshire. <laughs> Shovel's good value, isn't it? It is, yep. That and the Batuta, Batuta Advocate and mm. groups like that, yep. Right, well, gentlemen, uh, so, dear listener, next week it will be 
Wednesday, Wednesday night, 7pm. Yeah, at 7pm Brisbane time, which will be 8pm um, Victorian for you time. Southerners. They only just started their daylight saving mm. recently, didn't they? Yeah, like yeah. they first October, it. I think. Yes, it? but it, oh, okay, that's normal, isn't it? Yeah, sorry, I don't know. I'm confused. No, yeah. You're right. So unless, because uh, I'm away for a little bit, unless I decide I just can't get one done. But at, at this stage, it'll be Wednesday. Don't look for Good. us Tuesday. Look for us Wednesday. Thanks for your support and your messages. It is nice to get feedback. If you're half inclined to send a feedback message, uh, don't hesitate. Send us a message. It feels really good to get um, messages from people who, who get what we're doing. So that's good. And if you go the extra mile and hop onto Patreon, that would be good as well. So, all right. Uh, talk to you Wednesday next week. Bye for now. Thanks very much for tuning in. Bye now. Bye, everyone. Scientists have recently discovered that expat tribe members, listening to their musings from both far and wide, have been contributing to the group's well-being and habitat infrastructure through something called Patreon. Some for as little as one dollar a podcast. It really is making a difference, and it's been observed to enrich the tribe as a whole, with contributing members experiencing measured dopamine spikes when new episodes are released, and even intermittent bouts of persistent smiling while listening. Ah, there seems to be movement again. If we listen carefully, we may be able to make out the discussion once more. Well, dear listener, did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favour to ask. Uh, First up, tell some friends. Let them know about the podcast. You'll be discussing something at some time, and you might be repeating something I've said. And when you're talking to your friends, say, hey, I heard this on this podcast, and it's worth listening to. And maybe pick an episode that you think's a good one and direct them to it. Like, grab their phone and go to their podcast app and search for Iron Fist Velvet Glove and subscribe <laughs> on their behalf on their phone and uh, and just put the word out. The other thing is you could become a patron and support the show. So if you go to our website, you'll see a link to Patreon and there are some different options for subscribing and paying per episode. And really the amount that you pay depends on what you get from the podcast. So there's different levels ranging from $1.50 Australian to, I think, $10 and various ones in between. It's really, what do you think it's worth? Is it worth a cup of coffee? Uh, Is it worth more than that, less than that? Whatever you get out of it, because not everybody gets the same. Maybe you don't listen to the whole thing. Maybe you never talk about it with people. Maybe... You really couldn't care less half the time whether the podcast is there. It just it'll be different for everybody. So if you get a lot out of the podcast, contribute a bit more. If you don't get much, contribute less. But in any event, you can subscribe there. If you don't like the idea of a regular subscription, the website has a link to a PayPal donation. So you could just do a one-off donation every now and again. So there you go. It'd be good to uh, spread the word, get a few more listeners And that way, look, if we ended up getting more listeners and more money, we could do maybe a second episode or more special episodes, provide some more content. So it's up to you. If you think it's worthwhile, let people know. Thanks.